Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. This is a very special podcast because I have two guests, a father and a son, Ross and Tommy Berman are here. Guys, thank you for taking time out of your morning. Thanks, Dave. No problem. And you're on vacation right now. Yes. So what are you going to, before we get started with this, what are you doing on vacation? What's the main focus of the vacation? Boogieboarding. Trying right. to do nothing. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Ross, tell us, tell everybody about yourself. This is because they, they may not be familiar with you, and then we'll have Tommy introduce himself. Sure. Uh, Dave, you know me. We work together uh, uh, leading Agile, and we have done multiple podcasts together, which is awesome. But um, my biggest thing right now is I work with enterprise consultants, transforming them to agile. I focus mostly on enterprise architecture and enterprise organizational design um, and how many people get those things put together. And I have a son who's about to introduce himself. All right, Tommy. Uh, all right. Well, um, I'm Tommy and I'm 18 years old and just graduated high school. Um, yeah, I don't really have much to say for myself yet. My life just started. All right. Well, congratulations on graduating. Um, Thank you. So this is going to be sort of an interesting conversation. We're going to focus on outcome-based planning. Actually, why don't you guys kind of explain what this, what spurned this conversation? Maybe that's the easiest way to start. Sure. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, okay. So I saw on the news um, a few weeks ago about the uh, murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And it made me really upset because I don't think that's okay. And I kind of wanted to get involved in a way that kind of reflected emotional uh, reaction to it. So I wanted to go to this uh, protest in a city near me and it wasn't organized, but I felt like this is the right thing to do. This is the right way to show that I want change. And then my dad was kind of like, whoa, hold on is this really the best way to get change? And that, I want to talk about that. Sure. So it was, it was definitely scheduled way out in the future from, you know, the emotional reaction. So what we decided to do as a team here and mostly Tommy leading everything and me just kind of seeding ideas was to try to affect change inside of our local government. So, uh, we we made a decision, okay, we'll, we'll think about going to this protest in two weeks. However, until then, let's see what we can do to actually do things in between then instead of just waiting and having that anger and emotion fizzle out. Let's channel it towards things that we can do in our local community to make sure that our local community is better, but then also how do we raise awareness um, higher than our local community and throughout the state. And the initial outcomes that Tommy wanted to achieve when we were talking about it. You know, I understand you want to do something. What are the outcomes that you're trying to achieve? He wanted the main officer charged with a higher crime who, who was directly responsible for killing Mr. Floyd. And then the other three officers who just sat there and uh, watched it happen charged as well. And at the time there was a, initial charge and none of the other three people were charged. So Tommy was very angry about that as everybody in our family was, and we wanted to do stuff to raise awareness of these things in a productive outcomes focused way. So that was our initial starting point. So I want to, I, since I've talked to you guys about this a little bit more, I want to, I want to try to fill in some, some bits here. Um, 
I mean, most people reacted to what happened to George Floyd with a lot of concern and upset. People wanted to do something about it. For a lot of people showing up at protests, raising awareness, that's completely acceptable and a great response. Um, but other people react in different ways. And one of the things that we talk about at work with Agile Transformation all the time is, it's great that you want to go to Agile, but what is the end state you're looking for? What is the outcome? What is the result or the change that you need to see? And so what Ross is talking about here is getting to a point where it's, it's more than just a reaction to upset, but what, what's going to be different in the world? What needs to be different, right? Did I characterize right. it correctly? Yeah, and, and, how, you know, and, and how do we use the systems that are set up in place to affect change in the systems that are corrupt? And how do we start those conversations? And how do we find out what policies there are that we want to impact and how do we get them changed? So there was a lot of learning that we needed to do about our local government and also state government and county government and how that impacts, you know, broader, broader, the broader United States community and what we can do inside of the smaller system to impact a large scale change. And then how do we also, and, and Tommy did an amazing job of this um, and he can talk more about it, but how do we create a following and show leadership in our community through being a conduit of those emotions, but then also focusing those emotions across the entire community into trying to impact a broader area than, than just a one-time response. And that was really the message. It's not the vehicle that he was, he was going to do. It was the once and done. Yeah. And then there was no fall on activity. No lasting change. So, yeah. How do we actually get an impact? Okay. So, so Tom, how did you feel when, when all the, I mean, I'm assuming it, it just probably hit like they don't want me to go. Yeah, that was definitely what it was like at first. Uh, um, I was kind of kind of pissed off about it, but um, eventually he was like, kind of calmed me down and showed me that like, you know, if I actually wanted something to change, going to this one protest this one time wasn't actually going to really do anything. We live in a very rural part of the country, so the nearest city is still not that large. So. Um, you know, going and participating in that protest um, was not really likely to get anything done um, just because of how disorganized it was and the location of where it was at. And okay. I kind of started to understand what he was saying and uh, became more open to the idea of like alternate uh, routes for trying to get change. So what did you do? What did I do uh, instead of yeah. the protest? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first, I met with uh, one of the the chairman of the board of supervisors of my little town, um, and I talked about like not really trying to push for these changes yet, but like uh, what would I have to do in order to get these changes made? Like, what are the uh, process, any paperwork, that kind of thing? Um, if we wanted to hold uh, small protests or uh, gatherings to show uh, solidarity, um, what would be the proper paperwork for getting that done, uh, like holding something on public space. And we had a 90-minute meeting or so just talking about uh, what I would have to do to get these things done. How did you get that meeting? I mean, that seems like kind of a, a big deal for an 18-year-old to just call up and be like, hey, I want some time. 
Uh, it was an email. We sent him an email. Um, I live in a really tiny town, so it wasn't that difficult. Okay. So you got the meeting. Yeah, we, and then we talked uh, about, you know, how our local government works. Um, there's not a lot of information on it, uh, like online or anything. So it was definitely, uh, definitely really important to figure out how that worked because if we didn't know, there was no way we were going to be able to actually do anything. So you didn't know and it's not documented anyway. There's just have to kind of ask to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it might be documented somewhere, but it's not easily accessible from what I can tell. Okay. And so what was the result of the meeting? What did you end up doing as like a follow-up to it? Well, we kind of figured out like what kind of thing we would have to do to uh, get people together. And there was like a bunch of paperwork. And then we were trying to think, we got hit with a lot of red tape, basically. Like you have to do this and then this and then this and then maybe you'll be able to do it. Um, so we were kind of like trying to figure out if we actually had to do all that stuff or kind of slow us down uh, because they personally didn't agree. Um, and then a few days after that, we reached out to the, the chief of police in my town. And then I had a meeting with them uh, later that week. And then we talked about um, kind of how the police force here works and, you know, what, what can we do here to minimize the risk of this happening here? That had to be a little bit intimidating, I would think. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, when, I, when I did meet with the police chief, the uh, guy from the board of supervisors was also there. So it was... Uh, these two adults who had a lot of experience in what they did uh, pretty much just told me I was wrong the whole time, which was interesting. Um, but I definitely learned a lot about how the system actually works. Okay. So, I mean, they weren't openly hostile towards me. I could tell that they disagreed, but they, they were respectful and everything. So, Okay. And I think like a big thing, Dave, like when he met with the board of, with the chairman of the board of supervisors, I was there with him, uh, but I could not go to the meeting with the chief of police. But the, the two biggest outcomes from my perspective, and the two biggest things we learned from the board of supervisors meeting was even in a town of about like 2,500, 3,000 people, however big the town is, yeah, um, which is not big at all. There is a ton of bureaucratic nonsense that goes into doing anything. But, but also, we were able to, and, and Tommy driving this, able to secure that meeting with the chief of police. Uh, yeah. Actually, the chairman of the board did all of that coordination for us wow. um, and got the meeting set up. And, and he was very impressed with, with Tommy's pre presentation of the information. Like He typed up an agenda. Um, he went through, we took notes. There was a lot of red tape. The biggest piece of red tape is in order to have any kind of event on public space, you need a $1 million to two or 1 million individual, $2 million group liability insurance plan wow. for organizations. Like even if you're just a, a resident trying to organize yeah. something using the channels. And the reason I felt like that was so important 
is if it's not sponsored, the risk of violence against the people protesting is increased. So we wanted to make it make the paperwork official and also have the folks um, enforcing whatever things they're trying to enforce aware that we're doing this in conjunction with the local officials, not um, not in a way that that we're just showing up and doing stuff. And that's yeah. kind of you know, something that was important to me just to protect Tommy as, you know, my, my son, but also the number of people that he rallied um, and created a following behind him while he was kind of charging forward doing this stuff with the government. I wanted to make sure that those kids were, um, you know, protected as well and weren't going to come under any kind of violent reaction to a protest. Um, that he was organizing or a vigil. I mean, we went in, like, how do we get speakers? Like, how would we get, you know, public speakers? How can we do a vigil? Um, there was a lot of, you know, different activities that, that he wanted to do with his group, and the bureaucracy behind that was, was huge. But to be fair, he did set up the meeting with the chief that Tommy was just referencing. Yeah, so I want to I wanted to stay with that for a second before we go on to, to what came about as a result. So the really interesting parallel I want to make sure that people see is um, to, to walk into that as an 18 year old with two authority figures. I mean, where we experience stuff like that in real life is you walk into a company with, you know, 50, a hundred year history of waterfall and red tape and all that structure put in place to prevent change or limit change. We're asking people to do this stuff and they look at us like we have three heads half the time. Um, <laughs> so, so walking in prepared, being able to make a solid case for it and, and being able to establish presence in the room. I mean, Tom, that's a really impressive thing to be. I, I would not have been capable of doing anything like that at, at your age. So I think that's pretty amazing. Um, well, I did get a little you. eye rolls with having the typed agenda and ha- making sure that the meeting had a, a set point, but his execution was flawless. I was well, extremely proud sitting across from him and every once in a while, you know how coaching goes, you just got to knock people back into the right direction. Yeah. Um, but it was few and far between for an hour meeting. It was extremely impressive. Well, and I think with the agenda, even if you get eye rolls, that is you meeting someone in a battlefield using the language that they use, using a format that will put them at ease, which gives you a better advantage in the conversation. Yeah, I got eye rolls from both of the two participants. Oh, okay. when we I thought it was just from your son. The agenda. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and once when we delivered it. But we definitely came prepared, and Tommy was outstanding. I was very proud. So, okay, so what, what was the upshot of all this? So you had this meeting, and what came about as a result? Um, well, there wasn't much like uh, in the way of change that we actually wanted to make. Um, but it was definitely informative about what we had to do to make the change. Um, especially the meeting with the chief of police um, was very, very informative as far as like uh, policies and procedures that the, or lack thereof that the, that the police have um, okay. in our town and kind of basically saying, you know, if you want to change any of these things, you're probably going to have a better bet at the county level um, than the local level, um, pretty much because we don't want to change these things. So okay, you'll have to get somebody above us to do it for us to actually do it. So it was definitely like a, a learning experience, despite 
you know, being blocked off from actually doing what I wanted to. Yeah. Um, I figured out the best way to do it. So what'd you do? We started a petition. Um, I started a Facebook group um, for people from my town who supported the idea of, uh, of changing things at the local level to try to influence uh, larger areas of government, um, which grew to, I think we're at like 330 something. And how big is the town about? Uh, that's like uh, a little over 10% of the wow. town. Okay, that's so, great. Yeah. Um, and then we signed a, we started a petition trying to get, uh, this was before the charges had been raised on the, the one officer and the other three had been charged. Okay. So we, uh, I wrote a petition with, uh, letters attached to it that I wanted our local government to send, uh, to the governor of Pennsylvania, um, Tom Wolf to, uh, ask him to sort of. A call for the arrest of those officers. Okay. Um, asking him to make like a public statement because uh, he hadn't at the time. And then there were also further, further questions, further things that we wanted to have done, uh, like also sending a letter to the neighboring local municipality governments to try to get them to send the same letter to uh, Governor Wolf. And that petition got, I think, over 400 wow. signatures on it, which was really awesome. Um, a lot of kids from my school, um, a lot of kids in my demographic don't have Facebook. Okay. So um, we got a lot more signatures from people who weren't actually in the Facebook group because I posted it on like other social medias. Okay. One of the big things that happened is, um, and Tommy mentioned this, the charges for the other three officers happened and the, the, the guy who had lighter charges got heavier charges from the state prosecutor. Yeah. So we kind of had to figure out, okay, so we got what we initially set out to, to do. Um, we got a following of people who were looking at Tommy, who was 18, um, for leadership on how we can impact change in the future and we got direction on if we really wanted to make changes in our local community the place to do it was at our county government right. so we had to well, the market changed and we had to readjust our priorities right because the things that we wanted to happen happened and we needed to um, refactor our plan so we took a look at different outcomes that we want to achieve now um, and one of those outcomes is having independent review of any kind of misconduct or um, use of force things that happen in the local municipalities. One of the things that Tommy learned at the, at the chief meeting was that uh, he was the arbiter of any of those things. And if, wow. Yeah. So the chief of police. The, yeah. So if, wow. I, if you're the chief and I'm an officer and I do something bad and we're buddies, it stops there. Now, with enough pressure, the board of supervisors of the town can also decide to press charges or not. But the board of supervisors guy that we met with has been a, the chairman of the board twice, and he's been on the board for 30 years. Wow. Right. And okay. so 
like there's a lot of uh you know and we know this in transformation like the good old boy network right you might have the good old boys in the pmo or the the good old boy developers who just want to do things the way that well, they're doing it or, or to and, say it in a slightly <laughs> antagonistic way there's a deeply entrenched <laughs> culture yeah well you're much better at saying stuff nicer <laughs> than i am Dave. We, we know that but there's that mentality of protect your own. And, yeah. and Tommy got slapped in the face with it at this meeting okay. um, by the board of supervisor and the chief kind of posturing that way. Like, we're not going to change. As long as I'm the chief, nothing's going to happen like that. And then also the policy on when to use what types of weapons is extremely vague. And I don't, Tommy, do you want to kind of talk through what you learned well, can in the I, meeting before, about before you before you talk about that i just want to add one thing so i just to try to play the other side i can totally see where if, like if i was the chief of police and some kid comes in and starts telling me how i'm supposed to do my job you're not a cop i am i've been with this for years i got to be the chief i'm the one who knows you don't know what you're talking about i, I mean and there's a system just like we'd have at work built in place to to prevent things like this from interfering with his ability to do his job so yeah sure i see i see the other side of this but somebody needs to be able to check the checkers right yes. like and that and, and our government our united states government was founded on a checks and balances system so when you hear something like i am the check i am also the balance like that's scary in our yeah country. you need some and kind of inspector not, general type of role who can watch right stuff. yeah Right. And, and it sound, sounded like based on what Tommy learned, and this may be, you know, they may have said it too short or may not have said the whole thing. But based on what he reported back to me after the meeting, um, it was the DA doesn't even know about these things unless we send the charges forward. Yeah. Is what it sounded like to me. So it's all good. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Move along. Right. Yeah. So if. Uh, if there's a complaint filed on a police officer in my town, um, the chief of police is the first person to look at it and can either send it to the board of supervisors or uh, basically deem that the complaint is invalid, I suppose. I don't know the correct term for it. And if it's, if it's deemed like this isn't worth the time, it's not a, it's not a real complaint, like they're fine. Um, it never, it never like basically, basically never steps foot out of the actual police department. Um, if he decides that it is uh, something that needs to be looked into, it goes to the board of supervisors who have another chance to shut it down before the DA sees it. Okay. And the board of supervisors, you know, are elected folks. Um, but also I wouldn't say they were necessarily... Uh, you know, leading experts in in law or you know socio political affairs. I, I think they're just local folks who love the town, which is great. In my hometown, growing up, those are the same types of people who were in local office. Yeah, you know, local yeah. folks who love the town. Okay. So you've got the Facebook group created. You've got all the signatures. You've learned about what it's going to take to affect or impact some kind of change. Um, so what's happened since then? After that happened, it was the week of my graduation, so I was super busy that week. Okay. <laughs> and then immediately after, I left for uh, this vacation. But um, I have a pretty solid plan for what I want to do when I get back on it. 
um, meeting with the chief of police and talking about um, like their policies, their procedures, protocols, everything like that um, kind of really helped me focus on what, what we can actually change. So in, I don't know much about other, other towns, local police forces, but in my town, um, every single squad car has a, um, a shotgun. I think it's a 12 gauge shotgun and a assault rifle, um, in the car at all times. Okay. And that's in addition to the, the like 45, uh, pistol that the cop carries on their hip right. at all times. And so when I heard that, I was like, okay, what are the protocols for, uh, using a certain type of weapon and the answer was uh whenever we we use whichever weapon we feel is necessary so there's no protocol essentially well are they tra- i mean i'm assuming they're trained on you use this weapon at this time another weapon at another time no Hoping. it's whenever they feel threatened enough okay um they're trained on like actually using the weapon but as far as I could tell, there's no actual, like, use this one in this circumstance, use this one in this circumstance. Okay. I mean, knowing the weapons would probably do that, but I think the scarier thing is, to Tommy's point, that doesn't necessarily, common sense dictates yeah. what you should use when from a logic perspective, but when but in the heat of the fear moment. and emotion is involved, there yeah. is no, like, guideline that says, okay, it's a traffic stop, keep your AR in the trunk. Right. Um, and so if somebody's in a heightened state, uh, for whatever reason, like maybe they just got off of something that was actually scary or whatever, yeah. um, they can make that determination based on emotion, not based on logic or a predicated kind of guideline for what to do. Okay. So are you guys advocating for them getting training in that kind of stuff? Like how to just, how to choose which thing to use when? Um, well, I'm in favor of kind of demilitarizing it, hopefully, uh, lowering the amount of actual guns like that, that they have in the squad cars constantly. Okay. Um, but if it had to stay like that many guns, um, then yeah, I would definitely for training like that, uh, like situational and further clarity on what would happen if you broke that kind of protocol. Because when I said, well, what if there's a traffic stop? And the yeah. car is kind of beat down and your, uh, your officer profiles, the man in the car feels threatened, um, brings a 15 out. Is it maybe to coerce some kind of thing out of the, uh, out of the, the driver? Um, what is the repercussions? What are the consequences for that? Yeah. And my answer was there, there would be consequences. Okay. And I said, okay, that, would, that wasn't the question, but. Thank you for um, so essentially like it seems they can do pretty much whatever they want without having any repercussions. Okay. So you're advocating for some kind of, there, there should be some kind of accountability. Right. Oh, the other thing that we had discussed was getting on to the agenda for the County board of supervisors um, and working with, them to create a independent investigation team inside of the district attorney's office to handle police complaints. 
So basically trying to adjust the policy of the local municipality taking complaints of their own and forcing them into a um, independent investigation team inside of the district attorney's office um, as part of the county sheriffs. Wow, cool. Okay, so that's you're going to try to get that on the agenda for whenever the county meets next? Correct, which I believe is in July, but we okay. have to look into that. Yeah, it's July. So, so Tom, I'm curious about how you feel about this, you know, on, on the other side of it. If, if initially you were feeling like you were being told, don't go participate, um, do you feel like taking this approach of trying to decide what it is you're trying to achieve and working towards that was, was did it provide you with the same level of satisfaction you might have gotten from attending the rally? Um, I think it probably provided me with more satisfaction than, uh, I would have if I had just gone out because I think, um, had I just gone to this rally and screamed at this local city, um, I don't know if I could actually have anything tangible to show for it. And, um, after starting working towards, uh, the specific outcomes in the most efficient way possible. I have a group of over 300 people supporting me and petition um, that got over 400 signatures. And, you know, that kind of stuff feels great. Um, Being able to say like a number to show uh, that you've been successful is like one of the best feelings in the world. And so I'm, I mean, I'm asking about how you feel about it, which I think is important, but I'm assuming also that we want to focus on lasting change. Whether, I mean, hopefully you're going to be able to get the change put in place that you want, but you've taken much more concrete steps towards delivering a lasting change that will hopefully impact people's lives in a very positive way. Uh, so um, a lot of people on the other side of this debate are kind of uh, ridiculing and uh, putting down and not taking seriously any of the protests yeah. um, happening. So I think uh, coming to them on their, their playing field and trying to make that even space is, uh, is definitely the best way to try to get things done in this situation. Now, this is great. And Ross, how do you, you must feel fairly proud of, of your son for all this work. Yeah, I'm super proud of him. I, he's always been socially conscious, which I really appreciate. He's actually been to a few protests in the past uh, when we lived closer to Washington, D.C. in the city. So, okay. um, you know, I, I'm extremely in favor of his social consciousness and trying to impact change. I, I'm extremely proud of the maturity that I've seen with him, you know, being angry, but also being able to channel that anger in a positive way to create a group of of folks that are driving in his local community towards getting changes that are going to have a lasting impact for people. And I feel as though what I've seen as far as growth, which I'm extremely proud of, is when somebody says no, um, it's not like, you know, pout and... You know, storm away like you'd yeah. see in like a younger a younger kid, but it's really you know that that adult attitude of okay, fine, you're saying no, you but you told me where to go next, so I'm going to go above. Yeah, find another way. Right, and it's been it's been amazing, um, and I'm really hopeful that this stuff with the county works out because I don't 
agree with this lack of checks and balances. I think it's fundamental part of our successful democracy. And, and I think it's something that's been lacking uh, at the local level. And, you know, it's this, the answer we always got to is it's not a problem in our area. And that's true. It's a, it's a local area. You know, we have a, it's a small area. But that doesn't mean that it's not an issue, and that doesn't mean that there that it could never be an issue. And the asinine thing of just being like, "Well, we're not going to change because it's not a problem," uh, you know, really was frustrating to hear from oh, people elected to protect their constituents or people that are hired to protect the the local folks. And yeah. we just want to make sure that we're doing something in a way that will make make it possible for another balance or check to be put in place here in our place of where we live. Cool. Um, and Ross, can you just talk a little bit about your military background too, just in case that's <laughs> a question for anybody here? Sure. Yeah. I'm a combat veteran. I did a year in Iraq, uh, also served overseas in Korea. Uh, my best friend in the whole world is a Lieutenant at Frederick County, Maryland Sheriff's department. Um, so this is something that we have talked about. Uh, he, you know, he's on Tommy's side. Uh, you know, even made a call to the chief of police, unbeknownst to Tommy, since I couldn't be there. I asked Jeff to make a call and kind of greased the skids, let him know that Tommy was coming and had some hard questions for him. But um, the questions were coming from a place of, of really caring about people and not just a, an emotional anger. Um, I'm going to come yell at you, but I'm going to come to work, try to work together to impact change. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I really believe in is I swore an oath as a military person to protect people's rights and protect the Constitution of the United States. And his First Amendment right to organize and, and speak out and affect change and use all his rights to impact the world to be better is one of the things that I swore to defend. And I'm so proud of him and happy that he's using those rights to drive forward and impact his local community. And I can't wait to continue to follow that. This is a great story. So thank you guys for doing this. And Tom, thank you for all your work. Oh, you're totally cut out again. So the beach is beautiful, Dave, but the cell service and yeah, Wi-Fi not so much. are not great. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I guess I'll just say thank you guys very much for, for taking time out of your vacation. And um, I appreciate all the hard work that you're doing. And maybe um, let me know what happens so we can report back on it. Yeah, thanks, Dave. We really appreciate your time. Thanks oh. for picking this up. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for having us. I think I have to stand on a really specific part of the stairs yeah. to get on the service. So if people want to check out the Facebook group or sign on to show support, what's the, what's the best Or I can just put a link. Should I just put a link in, in the, in the show notes? Maybe if you send it to me. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have my dad email the link to you. Cool. Yeah. I'll get right on that. Am I working for you now, bud? <laughs> you always were damn there you go well this is great thank you guys very much and enjoy the rest of your vacation thanks dave thanks thank you 